My daddy told me before I got married, he says, son, take a good long look at that girl's mama because that's who you're going to be married to in 30 or 40 years from now. So I looked at Francis and I said, I think I'll pop the question and um, love her so much. Well, this is our annual week of Thanksgiving in the United States. It's our annual week where we stop and we say thanks, but when you get real honest and reflective about it, you know, there's not a whole lot of thanking going on to the Lord. There's a lot of eating, there's a lot of feasting, there's a lot of shopping. Black Friday has gone to Great Thursday now as more and more retailers are wanting to open up and close out their books. But this is a week that we set aside, and Tuesday night we're going to gather in this place at 6.30, and we're going to worship the Lord again with the second part of this message that I've entitled, Come to the Table. Thanksgiving is a time of family, and it's a time of tradition. It's a time where families gather. We've got more family coming up from Georgia this week that will be with us. They happen to be backslidden Georgia Tech fans. So guess who's playing Saturday? Georgia and Georgia Tech are, and I'm looking so forward to that football game on Saturday. Just not to rub it in on anybody, but just to enjoy watching them suffer for a while. But that's the way it is in our family. Football, faith, or I should say faith, football, and family. That's just the way it, it is in our family. That You know, we love those three things together. You know, and there's some traditions that are just hard, hard to break. Christopher texted his mom this week, and he says, Mom, what's your recipe for stuffing? Becky texted him right back and says, Your mother is a southerner. I don't make stuffing. I make cornbread dressing. So he texted her back and says, Mom, what's your recipe for cornbread dressing? And of course, it made her feel good that he wants to continue a tradition with he and Rachel and that recipe. But I have a question this morning, and it came from an article that I read in the New York Times this week that just kind of blew me away. And I just want a real honest answer, okay? We're in the presence of the Lord. How many of you have on your Thanksgiving table... The, let me describe it now. The green bean casserole that you make with canned mushroom soup and the french fried onion rings that come out of a box. How many of you have those? Can I see your hands? You're just like the first service this morning. Well, there was this family decided they would do fresh green beans and fresh mushrooms and lovingly made homemade onion rings to go on top of it, and the family would not eat it because it wasn't traditional. I wish they'd invited me over. I would have loved to have eaten that stuff. But we do have some traditions in our house. We have to have two kinds of cranberry sauce on the table. My wife makes a wonderful cranberry sauce, but I happen to like the kind that comes out of the can that's still got the rings around it. It just brings back. Anybody else like that? You like? Sure. Thank you. I wish that Becky was in here to see all those hands this morning. You're going to heaven. Anyway, those, those, that's some things you just don't mess with when it comes to Thanksgiving Day. It happens also to be the kind of weekend where we gather with our family and our friends and we just remember, we reflect upon the good things of our family. Sometimes we reflect upon those who are no longer with us and we talk about their memories and our memories of them at Thanksgiving time as well. I love the story Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll and I'm sure that you do too, but if you remember that part of the story where the queen says to Alice, it's a poor sort of memory that only works backward. And Alice asks her then, she says, well, what things do you remember best? And this is what the queen said, all the things that happen week after next. And as I was pondering that, it's amazing some of the scriptural thoughts that come to my mind while I'm studying for a sermon. As I was pondering Alice in Wonderland and our Thanksgiving, it made me think of the seven feasts of the Old Testament, and I don't want to bore you, but I think you really need to this. I want to go over this very quickly with you this morning, because it turns out the latest research for about the last 20 years is showing that Lewis Carroll was actually right what he wrote about in Alice in Wonderland, that our vision for the future, the kind of vision that we envision for ourselves is shaped by how we think about and how we remember our past. The same processes of the brain that are visionary, the same processes of the brain that look forward and cast a vision for our future, those are the same processes that we use to remember, and the better memories we build, 
science seems to say, the better future that we can build. And what I want to do is to help you do what God did in these seven feasts to remember the future that the Lord has for you. So very quickly, let me read to you Psalms 23 and verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. You know that's from Psalms 23, so read that with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. I was preaching in Asia, and I decided that I wanted to go see the temple of the Jade Buddha, and so I got someone from the church there to take me to this beautiful, ornate temple where people bow and they worship this jade idol. I'm not mocking, I'm not being disrespectful, but as I watched people weep and pray and bring their offerings of food, everybody, there were hundreds, if not over a thousand people gathered as they were bringing their offerings of food, I thought about this passage from Psalms 23 and verse 5. How unlike the pagan gods our God is. How unlike the pagan gods the one true God is. We don't bring food to God to feed Him. God provides food to feed us. And we give Him thanksgiving for that, don't we? He provides food for us to to nourish us. But seven times every year, the Lord commanded, outside of the Sabbath day where everybody was to stop and to rest and to observe the Sabbath day and worship the Lord and enjoy their families, God prepared seven feasts where the nation would come to a complete stop and they would rest and they would be in the presence of the Lord. Leviticus 23, if you want to look at those later, they're in the app. If you want to download the app and uh, get all the notes, they won't all be on your outline today, but if you want to get all the notes, you can get it on the app. But the first feast is Passover. And Passover represents for us that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. You remember Passover was, was the feast that the children of Israel celebrated when the angel of death passed passed over them, and they obeyed the Lord, and they took blood, and the blood of a firstborn lamb, and they applied it to the, to the threshold of their door, they applied it to the lintel, and then they applied it to the two sides of the door, which, by the way, makes the sign of the cross. It's, it's symbolic of what Jesus was going to do. John prophesied, or John spoke about the fulfillment of this in John chapter 1 and verse 29. Read this with me. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, God takes away your sins. God removes your sins and He gives you a fresh start and a brand new start in life. And don't you love a do-over? Don't you love another opportunity in life to begin a fresh and a new? That's what God does for you. The second feast was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And because the Jews had to leave so quickly, they didn't make their bread with leaven. And in the Old Testament, leaven, or what we call yeast, leaven represents the sin in our life. Because once leaven is introduced into bread, it infiltrates, it infects, so to speak, the whole loaf of bread. And so they left with unleavened bread, and God used that as a symbol of the sin in our lives. And Jesus' sinless life becomes a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus said in John, 6 and verse 35, if you'd read this one with me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And everybody that's experienced that say, amen. God satisfies us. He takes away our sin. And then on the third feast, it's the feast of first fruits. Now this is a special feast and an important feast because it prophesies to us the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I won't go into all of it, but the third day after Passover, and I would love to take time to really explain all of this, and I do some of this on Wednesday nights, but on the third day after Passover, does that make you think of Easter, the third day after Passover, after the crucifixion of Christ? The third day of Passover was a celebration of first fruits, and Christ, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead Read it with me. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep are those who have died. Being the first fruit festival, it was there were three harvest festivals. Being the first fruit festival meant there was more harvest to come. Jesus was the first fruits from the dead. Those of our loved ones who have died in Christ, they're alive in Christ tonight, and one day they will be raised again. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? He's the first fruits. 
Christ represents the greatest harvest of souls because the new covenant is in the blood of Jesus. And then there was this wonderful feast called Pentecost. And Pentecost was a feast of harvest and it represented that salvation was for more than just the Jewish people or the children of Israel. Jesus, as a matter of fact, told us one time, he said in Matthew 9, 37, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he asked us to pray for more laborers. So that should be a part of your prayer every week. Lord, raise up more laborers for the harvest. I I recently interviewed a family, or say interviewed, I taught our Discovering Woodland class to a family that uh, has come to our church, wants to become a part of our church, but they're passionate followers of Christ already. They love Jesus, they're eager to serve, and and you're going to love meeting them. But I told them, I said, you need to understand something. You're an answer to our prayers, but you're not our target. We pray for more laborers, but our target is what Jesus' target was. God came into the world to save lost people. Lost people matter to God. And everybody that agreed with that said, amen. So we're looking for laborers that will help us because the harvest is plentiful. Well, on the arrival of Pentecost, the church was born, but then the church had to deal with something they were not prepared for. You may not know this, but the church was really a Jewish church when it was first born. And because they weren't really following through with what they were supposed to be doing, this is a lesson in itself, because they weren't really following through in what they were supposed to be doing, God allowed persecution to come. Sometimes persecution can be a good thing. Nobody wants it, right? Nobody wants it. But sometimes God will allow hardship in your life because you're not doing the thing that you're supposed to do. God allowed persecution to come. The church began to scatter. All of a sudden, Philip had led a Samaritan. He had led an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. Revival broke out. Peter went down, and again, he was amazed at the revival. He prayed for them. And then I want you to look with me to Acts chapter 11, verse 15. Peter said, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. And then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? There were some people wanting to stand in God's way because they wanted the gospel just to be for the Jewish people. But Jesus had came to save all. He came to seek and save the lost. So when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and they began praising God and they said, would you read this with me? We can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. That's you and me this morning. Aren't you grateful for that? I mean, that's what this Feast of Pentecost represents. And then there's another feast, and I love to study this feast. It's the Feast of Trumpets because it's the prophecy of Jesus' return, of the rapture. It will happen in a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. I've often told you that when I leave a cemetery after preaching the funeral of a believer there, I remind people, I said, one day those who have died in Christ are going to leave this cemetery. And then if you and I are remaining, we're going to be caught up and transformed in the twinkle. We won't know what hit us, but we will be with the Lord forever in the air. That's something else to give God praise for this morning. Come on, praise Him. Hallelujah. Now, I bet all of a sudden you're thinking, boy, this Old Testament is not as boring as I thought it was. I need to read it more. Because most of you, when you get to Leviticus, you probably think, oh, man, why am I reading this? And you skip to the next book. There's a lot here if you learn to study it. And then number six, the sixth feast, was on the Day of Atonement. And that's when Jesus secured our salvation forever. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm saved and I know that I am. And if you couldn't say that on your way um, this morning, you can say that before you leave this church today because that's what God wants to do in your life. He saves you. He is the perfect sacrifice. The Day of Atonement, that was the day where the Jewish people would make restitution and seek repentance for the sins they had committed and the wrongs they had done. And then the high priest, who only once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and there with that thick curtain that was written to, you remember when Jesus was crucified, that was written to, 
There he would make a sacrifice in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, which was symbolic of the one that was going to come. And he offered the blood of a lamb as a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for his sins and for the nation's sin. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, speaking of Jesus as our high priest, he says, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. Our debt has been paid. Our bill has been canceled. Sin is no longer held against us. We are saved and looking forward to seeing Jesus Christ again. Somebody say amen this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then seventhly this morning, and the final one is the Feast of Tabernacles, was just a celebration of God's presence being with the children of Israel. And it's a celebration and a reminder of God's presence with us always and forever. That God is present with us, that God will protect us, and God will provide for us. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord, our banner, the Lord, our salvation. He's the Lord, our healer this morning. And then, of course, we begin next week our celebration of the Christmas season, and we will remember what the angel said. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means, read it with me, God is with us. Look at your neighbor and tell them that. God is with us this morning. Hallelujah. Now, the purpose of these feasts was so that the children of Israel would never forget and that's the reason I wanted to walk you through them because it's so easy to forget the goodness of God. It's so easy to forget the lessons of the past and it's so easy to become bitter and critical and ungrateful and God wants us to live as gracious and thinking people. You see, I not only remember what God has done, I want to remember what God's doing today. I want to remember what he's doing today, but I also want to remember what God is going to do in the future. And because of those memories, I have an incredible hope, and I have an incredible dream in my life. And my prayer is that when you leave here today, you're going to have an incredible hope as well. Amen? So let's look at this. First of all, think back with me this morning. Think back to when you first gave your heart to Jesus Christ. Go back in your mind. Go back in your memory. And for some of you, it may not be that long ago. For some of you, like me, it may be decades ago when you first gave your heart to Jesus. But I remember on Wednesday night, January the 18th, when I gave my heart to the Lord as a 16-year-old young man. I remember the bitterness falling away. I can't describe to you how bitter and angry I was. But that night when by myself I gave my heart to Jesus and prayed and asked Him to forgive me of my sins, you know, I still wasn't well yet. There were still a lot of things wrong. I still had a long road ahead of me, but suddenly the bitterness was gone and the burden was lifted and there was a new perspective on my life. People began to notice a change about it. I will never forget that night when I prayed and because of a lot of the, the ridicule that I would endure in high school because of my disabilities, I remember praying that night saying, God, I need some Christian friends. I need some people that will love me. I prayed that prayer the very night I gave my heart to Jesus. Jesus. The very next morning, there was a young guy by the name of Gordon that came up and introduced himself to me and introduced not only my, himself to me, but to a group of students who was getting together and he invited me and there were five guys that joined, five, sounds like a hamburger joint, doesn't it? There were five guys that joined me and we became close friends and with the exception of two that are already in heaven, we're still close friends today. You see, when Jesus saves your life, he gives you a new family, he gives you a new friend and you go back and you think. Sometimes people ask me, especially after this service, who've not become Christians yet, they'll ask me, so what do you mean when you say, commit your life to Christ? Or I hear you pray as much as I know how. I give them. What does that mean, Pastor Clanton? And I'll tell them it just simply means that you trust Jesus, you trust Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You trust Jesus to come into your heart and you trust Jesus to come into your life and you trust that what he did for you at Calvary was enough to atone for all of your wrongs and you just ask him, Lord, forgive me. I believe that you died for me and I receive you as my Savior and God gives you a brand new start in life. How many of you prayed that prayer? Give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. You would just, God, I believe in you. 
You say, and they say, it's that simple? It's that simple. God doesn't want to make it complicated for you. It was complicated for God. He gave His only begotten Son. But it is not complicated for you and I. We get to enjoy all the benefits of what He's done for us. That's why in Hebrews 10 and verse 32, read this with me. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Now, not everybody read. Some of you just set their tight lip, which means you need to think back. Let's read it together. Think back to when you, those early days when you first learned about Christ. How many of you remember when you got your first driver's license? Oh, yeah. Now I get a witness here. I remember when I got my driver's license. Daddy wanted me to go into town. I mean, I had driven fields and country roads, by my, but I had never driven into town. He wanted me to go get a tire to put on the tractor, and there was somebody going to load it up, and he said, son, just drive down there. All you got to do is back the truck up, and I remember after I got away from the house where I knew nobody could hear me, we didn't have air conditioning, so the windows was rolled down in the summertime, and I hollered out, I'm driving to town by myself. I was so happy. I was emancipated. Does anybody know what I'm talking about right there? I was emancipated, and I still remember that first time driving. That's why it made me so afraid when my kids got their driver's license. I said, be like your mother, not like your dad. You see, when God saves us, He does this entire spiritual makeover in our life. When, when God saves us, he, he moves us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of His dear Son. He gives us a new personality. He changes everything about us, and we become what we call brand new Christians. I want to spend every day of my life thanking God that He saved me, don't you? I want to spend every day of my life thanking God that I have a family to worship with. I have a family to live with. I have a, a life to live for the glory of God. I want to spend every day thanking God that I have a future in heaven to look forward to with the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single day, I can't think of enough to give Him thanks for. It's why it puzzles me, and just bear with me for just a second, because I need to do a little pastoring right here, right now. And when I need to do a little pastoring, I need to take my coat off, because that means it gets hot. I get kind of confused when people lose the joy of the Lord, because I don't think they're any longer thinking about what God has saved them from and saved them to. Let me tell you a story about Gert. Gert was a prostitute and a drug addict, lived on the streets. We planted a church in Antwerp, Belgium that is now a Teen Challenge Center. Mom, it was Papa. It was Papa Carl that preached that, that series of services for us. And I watched my father-in-law, who grew up in an orphanage in Colorado, I watched my father-in-law go out every day in the streets and the park and love on drug addicts and love on prostitutes. We were right there in the red light district. And if you've ever read about the infamous red light districts of Antwerp and Amsterdam, you know what I'm talking about. Every sort of evil that you can imagine. But how many of you know the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? And sometimes the greatest manifestations of spiritual power are not in comfortable places like this. They're where the powers of darkness reign. And we watched as God transformed and saved people's life. But working back and forth, here's one of the stories that I learned. Gert was shocked when she went to church. She was shocked because, first of all, she wondered if people would accept her. She wondered how people would treat her. But when she got to church, she was so full of joy that Gert didn't realize that a lot of Christians didn't have the joy they had. she had. She said they sat there with their heads hung down. She said, nobody greeted me, nobody hugged me, nobody smiled at me. It wasn't long before our director of foreign missions for the Assemblies of God, John Bueno, and I went back and we were speaking to some of the pastors and some of the missionaries there. And we said to them, look, you can't build without a vision. If God could plant a church and God could plant a teen challenge center in the red light of Amsterdam, think of what God can do in your community but you've got to help your people see the glory of being saved from their sins until we realize the awfulness of our sins, until we realize the hideousness of our sins, until we realize the consequences of hell. We will never appreciate the beauties of heaven and the glory of Calvary that God would send His Son to save us from our sins. Somebody praise the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. It's why it bewilders me every time I see people who somehow or another are about salvation or about amazing grace or about the cross. There will never be a better story told than the story of God's eternal love for human beings. The second thing I'd like to ask you to do this morning is remember and praise God for the miracles that He does. 
remember and praise God for the miracles that He does. Remember, your memory helps you to envision a future. And all of these seven feasts that I just read to you, it was so that the children of Israel could not only remember their sins, they could remember the miracles of deliverance that God had done. They could remember the salvation that God had brought to them. This morning in our first service, Rocky Donahue was here and he talked to me earlier this week, his pastor, I'm so weak, I've got to go in for a blood transfusion. So we agreed to gather and prayed for him. Pastor Rick, you helped me pray with him. We prayed right here for him and said, Lord, we ask you to touch him. We ask you to do a miracle. We ask you to bring his blood level up. Because for those of you who aren't familiar, when your, those blood, red blood cells go down, you lose the ability to transport oxygen and you just can hardly walk across a room. Well, Rocky could barely make it to the altar. We, we would have come back to him, but he wanted to come to the altar because that's where, you know, the, you come and you meet the Lord for prayer. And so Rocky came down. We prayed for him. And when he got there for his blood transfusion this week, guess what? His blood had gone up six points and a transfusion was not necessary. God is a God of miracles this morning. He's a God of miracles. You think that didn't build his faith? You didn't think that just touched him? And, and you know Rocky already, he'll witness to a signpost. It doesn't matter. He will share the love of Jesus with anybody. He's just all pumped up and acted a little bit like he was excited this morning. So you see, God wants us to remember and praise him for the miracles. If you remember just a few weeks ago, I did a series on miracles. And what's a miracle? It's anything that can't be explained except that God did it. Something that just can't be explained except that God did it. First Chronicles 16, 12. Re read this with me if you would. Remember the wonders He has performed, His miracles and the rulings He has given. Read that again. Remember the wonders He has performed, His miracles and the rulings He has given. Now look at me. Some of you may not know it, but you've had miracles in your life. Some of you may not know that. You've been protected when you shouldn't have been protected. You've been looked out for when you shouldn't have been looked out. You're not aware of it, and God necessarily didn't want you to be aware of it, but you need to be aware that every single day, God is watching over you. As a matter of fact, i got to tell you, and I think every mama in here will agree with me, I love to go to the hospitals when these little babies are born, but i got to tell you, one of the greatest miracles of all is the birth of a baby. The fact that somehow or another God takes you and your husband and brings this child into the world, they can't clone that. They can't do that. They can't create life. But God brought you into this world. You're a miracle. Your life is a miracle. Your salvation is a miracle. But then there are others of you in here, you've been healed of cancer. You've been healed of heart disease. You've seen God touch your children and heal them. There's others of you in here, you've had financial reversals and God came through and delivered you financially. There's some of us that call this church home, that you were addicted to drugs. There were some of you that were in lifestyles that you could never get out of. There were some of you that were supposed to go to prison, and God set you free, and God had mercy upon you. Our God is an awesome God. Can you say amen again? He's an awesome God. Those are the stories here at Woodland. You see, when you remember the struggles and you remember the miracles, they give you strength and they help you to envision the kind of future that God has for you. Because then you know the gates of hell can't prevail against you. You know you can run through a troop. You know you can leap over a wall. You know that if God be for us, who can be against us? You know that because you're reflecting back and now you're looking forward into the future, not like a prophet, but you're looking forward into the future with confidence rather than fear and dread. Last night, a woman from out of town called me where I had shared my story at their church and how God had healed me. And she called last night because her husband's got a dire diagnosis and she said, I just can hardly talk, but she says, I want you to know I've been thinking about your story and sharing your story of how God healed you, and I'm speaking that into my husband's life tonight. God is a miracle-working God. Don't ever stop sharing the good things that God has done for you. Don't ever stop sharing your story. Don't ever put the fire out of somebody like Rocky. Don't ever put the fire out of somebody like me. We want to share the good news each and every day that our God saves and delivers. Can we give him one more hand of praise? I, I apologize for being excited, but I just simply am. You see, when God shows up in your life, you do one of two things. You either praise Him or you try to run and hide. And that's the mark of a follower of Jesus. Because when God shows up in your life, you just want to praise Him. You want to worship Him. 
When God shows up in the life of an unbeliever, they run for the darkness and they try to hide because all of a sudden they feel their sins exposed and they don't want to give up their sin. But for a believer, when God shows up, our hearts begin to bubble. It's the reason that we're taught every single day to praise the Lord and to worship the Lord. Last Saturday, as we gathered around this sanctuary in our prayer service, and we lifted a canopy of praise. What we were doing, we were praising God for His miracles. We were praising God for the good things that He had done. Because when you praise the Lord, you're building like a canopy of protection over your life. When you praise God, you're establishing boundaries that the enemy cannot transgress. When you lift your voice and you praise the Lord, you are establishing the boundaries that God has put into your life. But when you criticize and you grumble, and you complain and you're ungrateful. You're allowing the enemy then to encroach upon what God has given you. And I may have news for you this morning. God is the business of expanding the kingdom, not decreasing the kingdom. And I don't want Woodland to be a church where the kingdom decreases. We want to be a church that we praise the name of the Lord freely, furiously, and happily in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we do when we praise Him. Therefore, Hebrews 13, 15, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to His name. For the Christian praises our breath. For the Christian praises what fills our lungs. It's what fills us up. If you remember just a few weeks ago, we had over 300 kids here for our Harvest Festival and we bought in this big inflatable, big inflatable. Stuck it right there in the foyer because it was raining and cold outside. And when it was all over, one of our teenagers, I won't call his name, but he played bass guitar this morning. <laughs> he challenged me to a race through that inflatable obstacle course out there. And like a dummy, I accepted the challenge. If you watch the video... <laughs> I mean, I'm still standing still when the gun goes off, and he's gone. I mean, you can't even see him, you know. I only saw the soles of his shoes, and the rest of the time, I was struggling to get through that inflatable, you know. It was just big, and it was hard, and he was kind enough to be waiting on me at the other end and high-five the old man for trying. As a matter of fact, in the first service this morning, he says, Pastor, this is the way you should describe it. And I said to him, Daniel, I don't use that kind of language from the pulpit. You know, and he just was just so proud of himself for beating me. But as we were standing back later, some of the parents and I, we were talking and they were getting kids ready and leaving. The guys who set up the inflatable for us, they came in and they took the breath away from that inflatable. And when they unplugged that fan, it immediately began to collapse. And as it began to collapse, they began to walk on it. It began to press the air, the very life out of that inflatable and rolled it up into a truck and put it away. And dear ones, right there at that moment, I thought about this passage. You see, breath for us is praising the Lord. Breath for us is worshiping the Lord. And the reason so many Christians' lives get walked on and trampled on is because they have allowed the hardships of life to deflate them rather than to remember the past. What God has done in the past, He will do again in the future. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can't go very long without breathing, and neither can you. I need to praise the Lord. Can we stand up and can we just lift our hands one more time and let's praise? We didn't do this in the first service, but I wanted to. Let's just praise Him. Let's lift up our voices. Lord, thank You, Lord, for Your goodness. Thank You for the miracles of the past. Thank You for those that You have healed, those that You have saved and delivered. Lord, thank You for what You're doing in our lives as we worship You and we lift our voices and praise together. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Wow! Wow! Now, don't you feel better right now? Now, you, you got to kind of say yes, because I, I put you on the spot. But really, don't you feel better right now that you praise the Lord? Think what that would do for you in the middle of your day if you just took time to worship Him. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I get invited in. Becky and I get invited in to dedicate homes. We go through the bedroom. We pray over the bedroom, the kitchen the basement, the bathroom. We pray over everything. Just dedicate it to the Lord. Becky and I have dedicated every home that we've ever lived in. 
We've dedicated that home to Jesus. You know, we don't go around casting out demons and stuff like that. That's what I'm talking about. We just give it to the Lord. Years ago, Evelyn Krug heard me talking about this, and we had had a little deal that the Jewish people put on their homes that has the Torah in it, and she brought one to me for our new home. And we put that up on the lintel of our house just to remind us every day we walked in the covenant. When I tell you this morning that I believe that praise establishes a canopy of protection, it's why I go through my home all the time praising God for my marriage, praising God for my children, praising God for His provision and protection. And when someone in our family gets sick or someone in our family begins to suffer, we don't sit around and grumble about that. We go through our home and we begin to praise the Lord. You can call this coincidental if you want to, but we've seen time after time as family members have gotten better and as people are blessed as they come into our home because praise is the breath of, a body, of the body of Christ and it's the breath of your home as well. So I encourage you, go through your home and cease Him. I, I would say this as well. When you go to bed, look at Psalms 149 and verse 5. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Now, Becky will not let me sing in bed. So I sing quietly. Sometimes when I wake up and I think she's asleep, I will just start singing, I love you, Lord. And I'll feel that hand pop right on my mouth. And then just to be mean, I'll roll over and put my arm around and say, I love you, Becky. And she'll push me away. But you see, the Bible says to his beloved, he gives sleep. Isn't that a good verse? To his beloved, he gives sleep. And so when we sleep, we pray, Lord, may our meditations and our dreams and our thoughts, may they be pleasing unto you. That's what the psalmist said. And even when we sleep, we praise the Lord. Some of you are thinking right now, I could have used a little more time in bedside assembly this morning just to praise the Lord a little bit longer. But I'm almost done here, so let's get number three. Be thankful to the Lord by giving grace to others. Be thankful to the Lord by giving grace to others. God wants you to enjoy His grace. God wants you to enjoy all the good things that He's done in your life. God wants you to enjoy His loving kindness. But God wants you to share His grace because you change the world by grace. You don't change the world through criticism and anger. You change the world by grace. I recently met with some business leaders and I just talked to them about this very fact. I said, listen, the way that you're going to change attitudes is through love. You won't change attitudes through fear. You won't change attitudes through threats. You will get temporarily buy-in because people are fearful of their jobs. But if you can show people they are loved and they are appreciated the way God loves us and appreciates us, you can literally change the world by sharing His grace. Now, again, understand this. I don't always do this as well as I should. I've told you so many times, I get so aggravated with people cutting me off in traffic. This week, I got an impression from the Holy Spirit. I know it was the Holy Spirit because I was in a hurry. I mean, I was in a hurry. And I don't see any of our policemen in this service. They were in the first service. Let's just say I was in a hurry. And all of a sudden, there was this prompting in my spirit, hit the brakes. I was in a hurry. Hit the bra- I hit the brakes, and this lady ran a stop sign and a yellow Dodge Challenger tag number. I could give you everything. She ran, and I went, you jerk! I'm sorry. And it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, Dennis, you're a jerk too. <laughs> now think about that. You're a jerk too. Now don't look at me so piously. I've seen you driving around town. One of you flipped me off coming to church one morning. (laughs) Your secrets are safe. (laughs) Look at Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, Dennis, you jerk. So you must forgive the other jerks. You know what that's saying? We're all a bunch of jerks. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is that not true? 
And so God calls upon us to share His grace and to share His love with others. Like all jerks, I need the love and the grace of God. Like all jerks, I need your love and I need your grace. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's make allowance for one another and let's share the grace that God has given to us. Can we give Him another hand of praise for that as well? Let me tell you why. Because when you hold on to bitterness, and I'm talking to somebody this morning, and I know it, those times, when you hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, you are clinging to your past. You are holding on to that hurt, and you are anchored in the past. It's when you discover the grace of forgiveness for your sins, and you can forgive those who have hurt you, that you are free to begin to imagine a future of grace and glory and moving from precept to precept and moving a little higher each day in Jesus Christ. That's the power of the forgiving grace of God in our lives. And some of you are still held back by what happened in the past when God wants to free you for the future and the dream and the hope that He has for you. And then finally this morning, demonstrate your thanks this year through generosity. Demonstrate your thanks through sharing with others, having people into your home, inviting them in. I'm looking over here at Kim and Jacob this morning, and one of our favorite memories is when y'all joined us for Thanksgiving one year, and your son went to the refrigerator to get some milk because we told him, make yourself at home. Kim raised good, polite children. He sat there drinking that milk, and finally he called his mother over and says, this milk is bad. He had poured Becky's buttermilk out instead of Becky's real milk. It's a good memory. We have another story this week. Someone contacted me in Florida that they spent Thanksgiving with us when they had no one else to spend. And they just shared with us how much they enjoyed their Thanksgiving, sharing the home. Got another memory from a girl that some of you know. She spent Thanksgiving with us and she found out she doesn't like some of our southern food very much. You know, but it's a good memory for her. She appreciates her Yankee food more now. Listen to me. When you share, you're building memories that will take you into the future. When you share and you're generous, you, it feels good. How many of you know it feels good to give? Jesus said these words. Read them with me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Read that again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. He doesn't say it doesn't feel good to get. I like to receive, don't you? I don't know who said that, amen, but you jumped on that one. <laughs> I mean, it feels good to receive. He's not saying it doesn't feel good to receive. Somebody this week gave me a bag of Christmas blend beans from Starbucks. I'm grinning from ear to ear like a goat eating briars. I mean, I'm just happy. I come home and I show Becky. I says, look what I got today. And Becky says, oh, okay. Not everything that makes me happy is going to make you happy. But the fact that I receive, but listen, and you know this is true, it feels better to give. And I love the honest words of Jesus because Jesus is generous with us. And it just makes sense to be generous with others. It's just common sense. As you sow, you're going to reap. Don't reach back and hold on to your wallet. I'm not fixing to ask you for a miracle seed faith offering here. I'm just telling you, I believe what the Bible says. It is more, it is more blessed to give than to receive, and that when you sow, you're going to receive back. When Daddy planted corn, we got corn. When Daddy planted beans, we got beans. When Daddy planted peanuts, we got peanuts. When Daddy planted tobacco, we couldn't use it, but he could grow it, and the church said we could tithe off of it. Funny how we justify things. The point is, what you sow, you're going to receive back. Remember this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You know what he's saying? Now I want you to listen. Again, I'm just doing some pastoring here. Don't think you can be miserly with God and expect God's generosity back into your life. Don't think you can be selfish and then rely upon the blessings of God. 
because God blesses your generosity. When you're miserly, you're like the devil. When you're generous, you're like God. And how many of you would just lift your hands and say, God has proven himself faithful as I put him first in my life. Could I see your hand this morning? And friends, I would challenge you just to look around at that. And that story would be repeated around the world. Why does God tell us to do this? Because when we're generous, we're showing the world what God is like. You know when somebody's advertising an annuity, they want your money. You know when somebody's advertising gold, they want your money. A friend of ours whose husband just passed away, her husband was convinced to tie up all of their life savings and their investments in a 14-year 5% bond that would pay off in 14 years. He signed the papers one day and the next day died. And all of a sudden, she's left holding the bag. Friends of ours intervened to try to help them get out of that situation. And the company says, nope, we have to honor the contract. She has to honor the... The paperwork hadn't even been filed yet, but because his name was on the contract. Look at me. I am not faulting investment firms. Or new, that's not the point. The point is this. Everybody except for God looks out of how to make a buck off of you. But when you are generous with others, you're showing people what God is really like. You can't buy your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. It's why God says in the book of Isaiah 55, He says, come and eat bread that's not going to cost you any money. Drink milk that's not going to cost you any money. It's why those seven feasts were there so you could remember that it is God who provides you and gives you the strength to earn and produce wealth. It is Jesus Christ who came and saved you from your sins. You couldn't earn it. Salvation is the free gift of God according to the book of Romans chapter 6. And this morning, more than ever, I am grateful for the goodness and the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? I'm going to ask the band to come on up and we're going to, after we pray, the band is going to come and they're going to lead us in that song, Thank You Again. And we're going to worship the Lord with them. But while they're coming, would you just listen as I take you through the final moments of this message? In Isaiah 43, 2, the Lord says, when you go through deep waters, read it with me, I will be with you. Let's read it again. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. What's he saying? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why do I say things like you can swing across hell on a rotten cornstalk? Spit the devil in the eye and say, come on, victory. It's my testimony. Come on, victory. Because of what has happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future. Nobody can take that away from me. The powers of hell have tried to. Sickness has tried to. People have tried to. But Becky and I have a long legacy now of memories that we celebrate every single year that let us know what the future is going to be. And should I die before Jesus returns, my wife and my children know that I will be in the presence of the Lord waiting on them to come. This week when Fred got that diagnosis and Rick and I were there in the hospital talking to the palliative care doctor, I went back the next day to pray with Fred and Fred sat down and he said to me, he says, Pastor, he says, ask the church to stop praying for me and just direct all the prayers for Carlene. I said, Fred, that's not how it works, my dear brother. We're going to pray for Carly and we're going to be there. But look at me, buddy. It ain't over until God says it's over. It ain't over till God says it's over. It ain't over until God says it's over. It ain't over until God says it's over. And suddenly, I've been his pastor for over 20 years and I'm sure he's done it. But suddenly as we begin to talk about God's faithfulness and goodness, suddenly Fred's hands went up and he began to worship the Lord and to praise the Lord. Eternity was breaking in upon his heart and life. When you have got a past to remember and celebrate, he set you free from sin. He delivered you from darkness. He's brought you through the fires. He's brought you through the floods. You know you've got a future. Come hell or high water, you can say, come on victory, for our God is able. Somebody say amen this morning. Our God is able. 
Praise is the breath of our life because God is near. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. Don't ever let the fire of praise Don't ever let the fire of worship. Don't ever let the fire of prayer. Revelation tells us there's even an angel in heaven that offers the prayers of the saints as incense unto the Lord. So as we begin this Thanksgiving week, don't you dare just eat football and watch Georgia beat Georgia Tech. But you eat and you remember the goodness of God to your family and you remember the goodness of God for the future. Stand with me this morning. I want to pray with you after I read this final verse of Scripture. Lord, I bless the church this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. I bless them as a pastor and a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you always be joyful. In the flood and in the furnace, may you be joyful. When you sit at the table prepared for you in the presence of your enemies, may you be joyful. When you remember the atonement that Jesus provided for you and that you are saved forevermore, may you ever be joyful. And God, may you put within us that breath of prayer where we never stop praying. Our work becomes a prayer. Our labor becomes a prayer. Our recreation becomes a prayer. Even our rest becomes a prayer to you. And Father, I pray that we will be thankful in all circumstances. We declare we are not thankful for cancer. We declare we are not thankful for poverty. We declare we are not thankful, Lord, for sin. But we are thankful despite these things and in all circumstances. For we have a memory of the past, of the faithfulness of God. And we have a memory of the future. Our God will pull us through. May this be the heritage of all of the saints. Can we give him a hand of praise right now? Hallelujah. 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 Come on, church. Fill this place with praise. Build a canopy of praise unto the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, I'm asking you right now. I've already explained to you how. If you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, would you just simply join me and pray quietly this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being the perfect sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice for my sins. I trust you to forgive me. I trust you to pay a debt I could never pay. And I don't understand it all, but I want a fresh start today. I want a fresh beginning. I want the bitterness, the hurt, the pain of the past to be gone. And I ask you, as much as I know how, to become the Lord and the Savior of my life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Let's sing it with the band this morning. Hallelujah.